You're listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 27. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, Wellness Insiders. I hope you're having a great week. I'm very excited about today's episode. And as we begin, I want to ask you a few questions. Do you consistently get good night's sleep? How often do you wake up groggy or tired? Do you ever struggle making it to bed at a decent hour? If any of these questions make you pause and stop or resonate with you in any way, this episode is for you. My today's guest is Katya Swift. Katya is an herbalist and a teacher. She helps her clients to rebuild relationships with their bodies. She teaches them how to eat real food, work with medicinal plants, and reestablish important connections in their lives. Together with her husband, Trin Madura, Katya co-directs herbal programs and courses at the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism here in Boston. In addition to that, Katya is an herbal podcaster and a new book author. You will hear Katya's birds in the background as we're talking to each other. And I know that you will enjoy her, her very clear and simple strategy on how to reinvigorate sleep in your daily routine. I know you will enjoy Katya's recommendations. Katya, good morning. I am so excited because today um, Katya Swift from Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism is joining us for uh, this episode. Um, I met Katya in 2009, 2010 perhaps? Yeah, about 10 years ago. (laughs) And um, uh, the first time when we met, I invited her to teach my students about, I think it was a digestive uh, health topic. was too. Yes. And so I remember just, uh, it, it was a very interesting experience for me. And I kept inviting her to come back and to talk to my students. And then uh, we started exploring other uh, opportunities for her to continue teaching uh, my students. So uh, I will ask her a number of questions about this. But before we begin, can you tell us how did you get interested in herbal medicine? Oh my goodness. So You know, most herbalists have really good stories about how they became herbalists. Like, my grandmother was a this or a that, or, you know, like, I don't know. They have all these great stories about how many generations of herbalists they are, or how when they were tiny children, they were making tea and whatever, and I do not have those stories. I grew up in a a Western medicine family. My mom was a nurse. Everybody was a nurse. And um, I, so that's not how I came to this at all. Um, Instead, I studied foreign language and I was an exchange student a lot in high school and I did most of university overseas as well. And um, I really loved tea. And when I moved home and like came back to the States and and, like stayed and like started getting jobs and being an adult and whatever, um, I moved to Boston and the only place 
at that time to get like nice European herbal tea was at Cardillo's in Harvard Square. And it was really expensive. And, um, and I, you know, I was fresh out of college and on my first job and I didn't have tons of money. And I had this little shelf in my kitchen. It was like maybe a 24 inch shelf and it had those little metal tins from Europe, you know, and I would like save up and buy one at Cardia's on a fancy day. And then I got one too many tins for the shelf. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I've got to be able to make this stuff myself. It is so expensive. And so I started to like Google to see if there was any way to learn this yourself. And I found, um, found out about Rosemary and right about the same time, um, I was also um, starting to think that maybe city life wasn't super fun. So I started taking her correspondence course, which, um, you know, is kind of like the gateway to whatever. And then eventually I moved to Vermont to um, a farm about 15 minutes away from her sanctuary. And I apprenticed with her for three years. And it was whatever Rosemary's doing today, that's what I'm doing today. And so when you're saying Rosemary, you mean Rosemary Gladstar? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. The fairy godmother of American herbalism. Yes, <laughs> yes, of course. And, um, and since then, I've had many, many different teachers in many different styles of herbalism. Um, I would say I, I practice probably most similarly to Paul Bergner. Um, and he's a, a really amazing teacher. Um, but, um, but yeah, really this all started because I thought that imported European herbal tea was expensive. <laughs> well, we all have our path. We all have our journey. So this is fascinating. Thank you. So, uh, you, uh, shared with me that you've been teaching herbal medicine, not just practicing for the last 15 years or so, maybe a little bit more. And you've had the uh, Commonwealth Center for Holistic uh, Herbalism since 2010, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know that um, you teach a lot of people that are interested in learning basics of herbal medicine, but you, uh, what makes you very unique is that, one, you also teach with your husband, and two, <laughs> you teach, uh, so you have a team, and two, you teach a lot of conventional healthcare professionals. Can you tell a little bit more about this? Yeah, so our school has, first off, yes, so we are a husband and wife team, and we almost always teach together, but right now he is teaching, um, by himself and well we have a, a, a nine month like first year you know beginner kind of class for people who want to take care of their families or themselves and then we have one of the few three-year clinical programs in the country for people who want to be professional herbalists um, and that um, that always has a lot of nurses and um, different types of medical professionals uh, who are looking to incorporate holistic health into their practices. And even though we don't, we don't market it that way, and it has equal number of people who are paralegals or software engineers or whatever else, and they're just looking to change career direction. But, um, but I think a lot of that comes from that I have a personal medical background in my family. My mom was a nurse and then a medical transcriptionist. And, um, you know, my summer job was always to help my mom to in, you know, transcribe medical records. And um, so 
that that just sort of came real naturally to me the the both sides and then also i was a software engineer before i was an herbalist so i i come from a science background and um my approach to herbalism is necessarily that that way which um i will say caused a great deal of consternation in our relationship rosemary and i um which which was very funny because i was forever annoying her about science studies and whatever and she, that's just not her style mm -hmm. and she would always get annoyed because I was always coming in with another study that I wanted to talk about and she's like just go harvest some nettles <laughs> um, but so so when we started working with you and teaching the pharmacy students that was a really natural feeling progression for us because because we have my husband also has a software engineering background so because we're coming from sort of a science-minded place and um it has been i have to say it has been such a really good thing for the for our practice because pushing ourselves to stay current on medical technologies and um and scientific studies has made a huge difference in the way that we understand herbalism um and between my husband and i we have kind of a spectrum that he can spend hours studying molecular structure and um and i would rather spend hours studying um you know psychology and human behavior mm -hmm. um and but it's good it's really good for both of us because it it has really enhanced the way that we think about herbs and herbalism and also the way that we think about science you know herbalism has really enhanced the way that we think about science and and the medical approach to things so it's interesting that you mentioned the lifestyle and the psychology of it um i know that uh when pharmacy students spend their six-week rotation with you there are a number of different changes that you ask them to make in their lifestyle can you talk a little bit about that yeah we're we're the we're known as the bacon rotation okay um, <laughs> because one of the things that we do is we uh we so the commonwealth center for holistic herbalism is a long and pretentious name but the reason it's all in there is because the holistic part is really important to us we don't just look at we don't just say here's an herb it will fix all your problems we also look at what are you eating and how is that contributing to your current situation are you sleeping enough is it hard for you to sleep um are you moving your body around enough what's your stress level like all that other stuff and that's all just as important to us as the herbs that we give people and we think that that's true no matter what style of healthcare anyone is practicing so we want our pharmacy students to experience that as well and the way that we the way that we believe that you can learn that is by doing it in your own body we don't want anybody like a big motto we have is you should never believe anything i say mm -hmm. um, because nothing is really true until you've experienced it for yourself in your own body or in someone else's body that you were able to observe it and um so we tell the pharmacy students that and we make them for four weeks they're required to do a dietary protocol that they invent them we give them suggestions but they choose what they want they have to choose six things and it's stuff like give up sugar for a month um or like we list all the popular allergens and we suggest that they go gluten-free for a month or whatever 
Um, really motivated students do a Whole30, which is a popular mm -hmm. like anti-inflammatory elimination diet right now. Um, and we also add things in like eight servings of vegetables a day or high quality protein or, you know, whatever. And the reason that we do it is that um, even if the kids don't have any allergies or whatever else, they're not really kids. <laughs> they're adults. They're almost doctors. But right. um, um, even if they don't have any allergy themselves, if they're going to advise people how to give up sugar, for example, they need to have done that for a significant portion of time so that they know what it feels like on a bad day and they start to learn like tricks to help them when they're having sugar cravings because now you can give really good advice. But if you just say, oh, you really need to give up sugar, like that's not helpful for anybody because <laughs> thanks, yeah, I knew that, but it's really hard to do. Um, so, and then we also make them, well, we don't make them, we do, but I mean, it's for a grade, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, we have them do some stress reduction project for three weeks. And again, they get choices. And these are all things that are mostly targeted towards cardiovascular health because it's such a common thing. And again, if you go to a doctor and you have some cardiovascular problems, one of the things they're going to say is you need to have less stress. You need to reduce your stress levels. But again, that's really hard to do and it's not very good advice so we have them like meditate daily or spend one day a week in nature with no electronic devices or like all different kinds of things go for a walk every day and again it's because it's challenging to incorporate stress reduction into your life so they need to come up with their own personal tricks on how to make that successful and the last project um, is two weeks and they have to sleep nine hours a night and mm -hmm. most of them think that's the most difficult. But there are so many studies around sleep showing that no matter what the particular ailment is that they're studying, disease or illness or whatever, if you do nothing more than just sleep, like already you will see like a huge improvement. And most of these, you know, most of these students are coming from the real arduous life of pharmacy school where most of them are getting four or five hours of sleep a night for years now. So it's actually really good for them. When they get to the end of our rotation, their skin looks so much nicer and they're like so much, so less stressed and they never want to leave. Um, but yeah, so, oh, so they call it the bacon rotation because so many of them give up sugar, but we say, but you can have bacon. And then they're like, okay, well, if I can eat bacon, then I can do anything. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. But it's, um, one of the, it's one of the ways that we've found to help motivate people that if you're <laughs> going to give something up, then make a plan for something that you really like that you can still have. And then you can at least be happy about that. That's a great strategy. So you talked about the, the third component, uh, the sleep portion of it. Uh, the fact that students uh, begin to sleep closer uh, to nine hours. Um, so I have a couple of questions about this. You said that this was the most difficult. Why do you think this is the most difficult component of this? And it seems to be that it's not difficult just for students, for pharmacy students, but yes. it's, it seems to be difficult for a lot of us. Yeah. What are some of the reasons? Well, first of all, our culture is not set up for it, right? Like our culture, um, you know, ever since they invented electric lights, um, you know, that it's been really difficult to get good sleep. The reason that we have electric lights is so that we can um, 
if you think about fear of the dark tied up, we do a whole class on this about electric lights actually, and how fear of the dark is very tied into fear of death. And um, so you can look at electric light society, like the changes in our society that happened since we invented light, um, like, like electric lights um, have been really, really huge. And there's been a corresponding, of course, um, set of changes in human health as well. And, um, and the reason that we have them is so that we can stay up later, mm -hmm. right? Like, cause if it's dark, you go to bed, the candles were expensive. You didn't, and they're limited also. So I suppose there was the Victorian age when they had those gas lights and that was like, maybe like a, whatever. Anyway, the whole purpose of having electricity is so that we can be more productive and a culture that is focused on being more productive is not focused on rest and relaxation. And like those two things just don't go together. So, so even if a person is a person who has a tendency to enjoy sleeping, there are people like that. Um, it, like our culture just isn't set up to promote it at all. So that's the first thing. Secondly, these students are usually like around 25, 23, 25, a couple of them are a little older. But of course, that's a time in your life when you're not really excited about bedtime. Um, you know, you want to be out in the world and doing all the things and having all the experiences. And then, you know, in our culture right now, especially because we live in Boston, but I think this is true in so many places in the country, that one full-time job, job is not always enough anymore. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people work at night and they, you know, or they just, they do work one job, but they work a lot of hours and work really hard. And by the time they get home, they feel like they don't want to just eat some food and go to bed. That's not a very good life to just go to work and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. So, and then of course there's Netflix. So that's like a whole new thing on top of it um, because Netflix will just keep playing the next episode and you're sitting on the couch and maybe 10 years ago you would have gone to bed after your episode of whatever show you watched. But now you can stay up until four in the morning watching it because it'll just keep playing. So all these things play into a culture that just makes it really hard to sleep. Even if you want to, even if you're like, I'm going to bed early tonight. You, like do that tomorrow or, you know, whatever, do it today. Set the intention to go to bed early and just watch how many things get in your way. Your work expects that you're going to check email at night. Your, um, your kids need whatever they need and they don't tell you until 8.30, you know, like for some project that's due tomorrow. And the laundry still has to get done. All the stuff still has to get done. Yes, that's very, very true. So, so how do we actually approach this dilemma? Is there other rituals that you can create in your life? Other herbs, other foods, other things that could help you to actually prioritize your sleep? Yeah. So the first thing that I recommend for people is to set a short-term goal. Um, a lot of times, because we don't have a culture of sleep, um, and because going to sleep means giving up something else, um, I like to tell people to do it just for one week. Just say it's sleep week. Next week, you can do your regular lifestyle again. But just for one week, have sleep week. Because it's easier to say no to the things that they would be doing if they weren't sleeping when it's a short period of time. So it's just like, okay, for this one week, 
you're going to cancel a few things and you're going to catch up on your sleep and then later you can do whatever you want. And the reason that I start off that way is because that way people get a glimpse of, oh, maybe I could make this work a little bit more. But they are given a real safe space to do that in. They don't have to commit to changing their entire lifestyle forever. They just have to change it for one week. So, um, so that's a really, really effective way. And um, then once we have made that decision, like, okay, we're just going to do this for a week, then we start, we don't just say, okay, well, I'm going to bed early tonight. Like at the beginning of the week, we're going to plan it. We're going to say, how are you going to get to bed early? What, what can you not do? In order, you know, okay, well, your 7 p.m. yoga class maybe isn't going to work out because you don't get home until 9 o'clock and then you still need dinner. So this week, maybe you're not going to go to that class, go to a different class um, or just skip it this week. And we look at what time do you need to eat dinner so that you can go to bed at the time that you want to go to bed? What time do you have to leave the office so that you can go to bed at the time you want to go to bed? And most importantly, what time do you need to turn off your TV and your computer? Um, so that you have enough time to, to cool off and be able to sleep. Because when you're looking at screens and seeing the light and thinking about work and feeling stressed out, it's really hard to lay in bed and go to sleep. So we don't just say, well, I'm just going to do this and expect that somehow it's magically going to happen. We, we really do make a plan for it and schedule that person's week. Um, and that way we know that the minimum obligations that need to be met in a person's week do get met and that we're setting a realistic goal. And then it's just a matter of ha picking a nice herbal tea. Um, ginger chamomile is my personal favorite. Um, and building a routine of what are you going to do when you turn off your screen. And so my favorite set of routines is, you know, turn off all the screens, but also turn off the lights. And you can get like a couple of strings of, um, you know, those Christmas lights, mm -hmm. for not too much money. And you can usually find them all year round and people like them. So even in the city where you're not always allowed to have candles in your apartment or whatever, I just tell people get some Christmas lights and plug them in, like turn off the regular lights and plug in the Christmas lights because now it's dim and your body is starting to realize, oh, it's dark. Maybe I should think about sleep on that physiological level. And you're starting to produce your melatonin. You're getting, like all the parts of your system are getting ready for sleep. And then you go, you make your cup of tea, you have, you drink it and maybe you listen to an audiobook. I really like Pema Chodron and um, she has some audiobooks, so I really like to listen to that. Um, before bed, it's hard to listen to any other, like you can't, listen to a political book or something like that before bed. But um, if you have a nice podcast that you really enjoy, something uplifting, that's really good. And just sit calmly and listen to your pot, listen to your audio thing and drink your cup of tea with your Christmas lights on. Then, um, you know, lay out your clothes for tomorrow. And another thing that we like to do is make the bedroom really appealing. So wash all your sheets before you start this project and like fluff up your bed and make it all super comfy so that you really are looking forward to getting into it and how comfortable it's going to be. And, and then, you know, get in there. And I, I tell people to take their audiobook with them to bed 
because it's really hard sometimes to lay there, especially when it's, it's hours before you normally would go to bed. You know, you didn't get everything done today. If you lay there, you're, you might be thinking about all the things that you could be doing instead. If you take your audiobook with you, then you're thinking about whatever nice story you're listening to. And the danger is, yes, your phone is right there beside you and you can pick it up and look at things. But, um, you know, put it far enough away that you can't really reach it, but you're still comfy in bed. And, and just let your mind be distracted. You know, it's okay to, to use a tool to help you do something new. That's very interesting. Thank you. And so um, you uh, tend to prefer to listen to something rather than read, right? Well, um, lately I do, personally. Sometimes I read before bed, but lately I prefer to listen to something. Um, but, but some people prefer to read. I think either one is really fine, um, as, as long as it's dim. And um, I think that so many people really enjoy audiobooks, that it's, an, it's a tool that is like kind of comfortable for people. So, and there's so many good ones that are available that are like kind of before bed type things. Um, uh, and, you know, audio meditations are really handy too. Okay. I love the Headspace app, but there's so many of them. Mm -hmm. So I feel like people feel comfortable with their phones. It's kind of like a security blanket. And if we're going to try to do something new and maybe uncomfortable, then, um, it can be handy to use a tool that you feel very comfortable with to do that. But I think if people like to read, that's great too, either one. Right. And so, so one uh, advice that I got previously was to try to get some actual books, not, you know, not eBooks, but something mm -hmm. that you actually can hold on to and mm -hmm. something that will help that transition. But uh, I love the idea of audio books as well. I, well, if you're going to read a book, I definitely recommend paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so because you don't want the light shining at you. Right. Um, and something about the pages, and it's not entirely ergonomic to hold, and that discomfort kind of helps too, you know, because like after a while you're like, I just want to get down under the blankets and feel totally, you know, like it does help move you to sleep. The flip side of an audiobook is that you can close your eyes, you know. Very true. Very yeah, true. whichever, whichever one works best, but both of them are good. That's great. So you mentioned the chamomile with ginger tea. Are there any other ones that you perhaps would recommend um, as maybe not necessarily, necessarily right before bedtime, but something that is coming and relaxing and kind of puts you, um, helps you to, to succeed in this endeavor? Yeah. One of the reasons that I like ginger chamomile so much is that it's very accessible. You can pretty much get it anywhere, those two ingredients. And the flavors are fairly familiar. Um, and, and chamomile and ginger are both antispasmodic, really strongly. So it's about reducing tension in the body. Mm -hmm. um, chamomile is a little bit sedative, but mostly it's a relaxant. So it's not like either one is going to put you to sleep, but they're relaxing the tension that's in the way of getting to sleep. So I really love those. But then there are some other ones that are super, super effective. Um, Passionflower and Skullcap make a really good combination. And they're so excellent when you have spinning thoughts. Um, 
So if you are thinking about your to-do list and you're trying to figure out how can I fit one more thing into my list for tomorrow and you're like literally counting the minutes of how long you can get something done and like trying to shoehorn one more thing in there, that's a skullcap and passion flower kind of situation, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I also really love wood betony, um, and I mean Statius officinalis. Um, in the east, that's the plant we refer to when we say betony, and in the west, um, of the western half of the country, usually they mean pedicularis, which is a great plant, but not related. Um, so Statius, um, uh, Statius officinalis, or eastern wood betony, is a plant that's very good for people who have spent the whole day being cerebral, um, and people who do jobs that require lots of thinking and now you're stuck in your head and it's hard to get back down into your body and like feel your body and, and get into the bed and feel yourself sinking into the bed because you're just really in your head. And betony is a plant you can work with all day long. It does not make you tired. It just helps you to come down out of that cerebral space and it, I find it really comforting if I'm sitting doing work in my computer and now I'm done with that. I, I just find it so comforting to then work with Bethany and feel like, okay, yes, that's right. I'm out of the computer now. Um, so that's a lovely all day long plant to just sort of help you stay in, stay in your body throughout that's the wonderful. day. That's wonderful. Um, Anything else that you can think of in terms of the foods that we eat, perhaps in the evening versus uh, any other time during the day that would just help that process? So um, my original field of study when I went to college was foreign language. And mm -hmm. I'm always obsessed with the way that people express things. And you may have heard the phrase, um, have breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, and dinner like a pauper. Mm -hmm. And I often use that phrase to talk to people about how to arrange their food habits, their eating habits, to make sleeping easier. And it really does work. If you have a tiny dinner, then it is so much easier to sleep than if you have a big, huge dinner and you're going to bed and still trying to digest your food. It doesn't it doesn't lend itself to a good night's sleep. Um, but the funny thing is that over the years, as I have said this, um, it turns out that every client who speaks a different language has said, oh, I know that. We, we say that too. And I mean, I knew that uh, I went to high school in Germany. I went to university in Russia. And I knew that those two languages had this same phrase. Um, but all through the Middle East, they have the same phrase. In France, they have it. In like in, in every place that I've had a client from, they have this phrase in their language. And it might be a little different, um, but um, uh, it, I think in Russian, it's um, dinner with your dinner with your brother, lunch with your friend. No, um, breakfast with your brother, lunch with your friend, dinner with your enemy. It's a thing like that. Um, so you know, it's a little bit different. But it's all the same thing about like a big breakfast, a small, a medium lunch and a small dinner. Um, but it, it makes the hugest difference for me. I know if I get dinner eaten and done before seven o'clock, it's going to be so much easier for me to fall asleep at night than if I'm starting dinner at eight o'clock or eight thirty, And I'm like, oh man, 
like I, my whole night is going to be later now because of that. So it's a huge indicator of the quality of sleep and the ability to get to bed early. That's great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So when I was uh, exploring your uh, website uh, in preparation for our conversation, one thing that I have noticed is that um, you have a, uh, an episode of your uh, new podcast on sleep strategies. So what I wanted you to talk a little bit is you mentioned podcasts and listening to audiobooks, but I know that you have your own. Could you please mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about your podcast and what are some of the topics that you oh, discuss? Sure. Um, so our podcasts, our podcast is the Commonwealth podcast for holistic herbalism, which we thought was very funny because it's like this, it's like the name of our school and it just amuses us to, to say it. Um, but every Friday, Rin and I sit down and we just talk about one thing that's been on our mind. Um, herbalists, as you know, uh, you know, it's a, it's a vocation where you never get to stop studying. You study every day. Um, and you have to, because it's such a huge field and there's so much to learn. So, um, so one thing that we really wanted to, to help people understand was that it's normal. Like it's normal every day to be learning new things and to be thinking about new things. And we wanted to just share with people what was on our minds. Um, and so we don't, um, we intentionally don't like plan a content calendar because we really want it to be literally, this is what I've been working on this week. So, um, so each of us picked something fun, something that was most interesting or most surprising to us in that week. And, and then we talk about it on Fridays. Um, each of us, we, we each talk about one thing. And it's, it has been so much fun. And we try to just make it, you know, like, hey, this is what I've been studying and let me make this accessible and let me just open this up so that you could be studying this too or thinking about it or maybe you already have and you already have some ideas about it and maybe you'll share them with us and that would be great. Um, but it's, it has been so much fun. We love podcasts and um, one day we just said, hold on a second, we should make a podcast. So we did. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. But you didn't stop there, did you guys? So no. there is another project that is relatively new, very new. Uh, you have a new book that is coming out, and uh, it's called Herbal Medicine for Beginners, Your Guide to Healing Common Ailments with 35 Medicinal Herbs. Mm-hmm. And I know that a number of the herbs that you talk about in this book, you actually have addressed or have mentioned today. So can you talk a little bit about the book itself? Like, I know that there are uh, different parts of it. And mm-hmm. so what was the inspiration for writing it? Um, well, actually... Uh, we did. We were not inspired to write this book. Um, the publishing company came to us okay. and and said, "We'd like you to write this book." And actually, we we were in the process of putting together ideas for a book, um, and it was not this book. It was an advanced book, and um, I think this entire experience has been a really fun learning experience because. How can you write an advanced book before you write a beginner's book? We were, we were so backwards. And so I feel so grateful um, that this opportunity came to us because 
um, it was really the right order to do things in. Mm -hmm. And so the publishing company knew that they wanted a book for beginners. And we thought there are so many books for beginners. How can we write a book that will not just be like every other book? And um, so we talked to the company and we said, well, um, these are the things that we think need to be included for this book to be worth its paper. Because otherwise, there's so many books out there. Like Henrietta Kress has really excellent, her book is um, Practical Herbs, Volumes 1 and 2. Um, and I love it. And I mean, there's just so many good beginner books out there. But one thing, or a couple things that were important to us that we felt would really differentiate this book and make it something that was worth putting on paper was that um, there aren't a lot of books that are starting off from an energetic perspective. And most of the time, energetics, and I'll, I'll define that in a minute, uh, is like left to be an advanced topic. And we think that it's so important that actually in our programs, it's the very first thing that we teach. So energetics sounds like a weird word. It's an old word. And it means the system of deciding which herb is right for which person at which time. So we felt that that really isn't very well represented in most beginner books. And if you start off herbalism from that perspective, you learn, you learn it right from the beginning. It's so much easier. You don't have to learn it at the end and then try to like figure out how to interpret all this knowledge that you've memorized. Plus it's kind of like, I had a math teacher in junior high who said that we shouldn't memorize math. We should understand math mm -hmm. because if you memorize it and you forget, you're out of luck. But if you understand how it works and you forget the formula, you can figure it out again yourself because you understood how it works. It's the same with herbs. If you understand the formula, if you understand the system, you don't have to memorize everything. You can figure it out in each moment. So, um, so we incorporated that into this book and we made it really, really simple um, so that it's, it's very easy to see how to apply that to your herbal learning right from day one. The book is organized. Um, in the beginning, there's foundational information and it includes this energetic information um, and a definition of each of the states. There's only six of them, so it's not really that hard. And the foundational information of how to make every type of herbal medicine, herbal remedy. Then there's 35 plants um, with descriptions, including is this plant a warming plant or is it a cooling plant? Or, um, and, and so you know that right off the bat. And so then there are 70 ailments and they're all described. We don't just say heartburn and leave it at that as if everybody knows what heartburn is. We kind of back it up a little bit and explain it from this new system, from this new perspective, so that people can start to incorporate. So I know that in addition to the books, um, the Commonwealth Center for uh, Holistic Herbalism uh, offers uh, a variety of different programs. So as our 
time is coming to an end, I have a few questions, few additional questions for you. So one of them is, is there anything that you think this audience would love to know and to hear other than what we have already uh, discussed today? And then could you please talk a little bit more about where and how someone can learn more about you and Rin and what are some of the programs and what are some of the offerings that you guys have in addition to the book? Sure. Um, so we have been working really hard on an online program. Um, you know, we have, as I mentioned, our nine-month program and our three-year program here at the school. We also have a business program for herbalists and other holistic practitioners who want to make a career out of their vocation, but business skills are not intuitive. Like, you're not born knowing how to start a business. It's really difficult. Um, and so we have a nine-month business program also that helps you um, just go step-by-step, step, one step at a time, and at the end of the nine months, presto, your business is ready. So, um, so that's really exciting, and I'm having a lot of fun teaching that. But we are in the process right now of putting all of our programs online in a video format, and um, so you can find out all about that on our website, which is commonwealthherbs.com. The, um, the first year program is, is up and the business program is up and the clinical roundtable, which is for herbalists who are starting to see clients, is up. So we're working on the, the middle part right now. Um, and we also have uh, a lot of free resources. So like you said, we have the podcast, we have a YouTube channel um, with all kinds of fun stuff. We have a blog that we update regularly with um, herbal information, especially I've been working on an herb of the week project right now. Um, we're also in the middle of completely redesigning our website so that we can make all that fun free information really accessible. We have a lot of um, fun videos that we offer for free as well so that people can um, get to know us and some of it is just because we think the information is so important We want everyone to have access to it And then of course, you know if you are considering studying with us whether it's in person or online We think that you should have a lot of information about our teaching style before you commit to Working with us. So we want to put a lot of stuff out there for free so that people can see like oh, yeah I think I would love to work with this person or oh, that's not really my learning style and then they can know that's great. And you guys are also on social media. So I will be, I, I will make sure that I include your YouTube channel and your website and also all your uh, social media uh, uh, channels. Yes, I've been having a lot of fun doing Herb of the Week on social media. Um, three or four times a week, I post um, a little teeny tiny mini monograph about whichever herb is the herb this week it's pine it's white pine mm -hmm. um and so every every day or every other day i post something new about white pine um so that's been really fun that's awesome and so your last uh, uh um, parting thoughts or your pearls of wisdom for us um you should drink more tea okay that sounds wonderful <laughs> Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. It's always wonderful to, to see you, to hear from you, to learn from you. I Aww, really, really you. appreciate it. And I wish you all the very best with the book. And I will thank make sure you. to include all the links into the show notes. Oh, thank thanks so much. Lana, I was so happy to talk to you. Likewise, likewise. Thank you, Katya. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you have enjoyed this conversation with Katya Swift. I have created a quick guide with six steps of reinvigorating your sleep routine that were discussed during this episode. You can find it along with all the uh, links mentioned during the interview in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 27. When you have a moment, I'd greatly appreciate it if you could share some love by leaving a rating or review about the show wherever you download your podcast. This is the best way to help others to learn about the Wellness Insider Network. It also helps to bring wonderful guests like Katya to join us here. This episode is proudly brought to you by Katya's new book, Herbal Medicine for Beginners, Your Guide to Healing Common Ailments with 35 Medicinal Herbs. It is also brought to you by Herbstock. Herbstock is a grassroots Boston-based herbal event and organization. It hosts classes on herbal and holistic health topics, offers urban plant walks, and brings together herbal crafters from all over New England, and so much more. This year's main event is on June 2nd and 3rd in Somerville, Massachusetts. Both Katya and I will be teaching at this event. Katya will talk about business skills for herbalists, and my workshop will be on herbal safety and drug interactions. Please check out the link in the show notes for more information on these and many other interesting classes. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart, be healthy, be you. Be you.